everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Heart to Heart Podcast. I'm Bria. And I'm Kim. And today we have a very, very special guest, someone I know Kim is very close with and has an amazing following on YouTube. Kim, would you like to do the honors of introducing our special guest? Yes. So we are so, so lucky to have with us here today, Katie Yu. So I will read her bio. Katie Yu is a content creator on YouTube where she creates fashion and lifestyle videos. Katie launched her YouTube during the pandemic and has already amassed a total of 374,000 subscribers and over 23 million total views. When Katie isn't recording or editing videos, she's a full-time student at Brown University where she studies economics and modern culture and media. Katie is also a wonderful friend who I've had the opportunity to know for a few years and even before we started Brown together. We even met the president together, fun fact. <laughs> yes, we did. Ah, but it's been beautiful to see her grow and really follow her passions and dreams. And welcome Katie to Heart to Heart. Woo! Woo! Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for having me on Heart to Heart. I have been listening to Heart to Heart since it launched. So this is very weird, to be honest. <laughs> um, I remember like posting it on my story being like, listen to the first episode. So I'm very happy to be here. So excited. Thank you. We're so happy to have you. Yes, we are. Amazing. So we'll get started with our first question for today. So Katie, can you tell us a little bit about your journey to starting a YouTube channel and specifically what was the deciding factor or moment that really prompted you to create the channel? Right. So it's really crazy to think back to who I was before YouTube or whatever, because she was a different person, I'd say. Like I think about her priorities and it's so just crazy to think about how different I was. So basically what happened was I was, that was junior year. No, it was sophomore year. I have literally no concept of time. <laughs> basically we were recruiting for junior summer internships. Like that is the biggest year and at Brown we live in a huge bubble and so they're like that internship matters the most like that summer matters the most and so I remember submitting 30 plus internship applications and just living eating breathing resume prep interview prep like all I wanted because all I've been told my whole life is like you need to get a good job and like go to college so I was following on that track record making sure everything was in line but then obviously COVID happened and the pandemic rolled in and all of my internships got canceled. So that was a huge, I think, reckoning for me because I think when things like that get canceled, you would have expected me to be so sad, to be so like in despair, like I can't believe this stuff. I was relieved. I was relieved that all these things got canceled and that moment of oh my gosh, I can't believe you're feeling relief made me kind of think, so you're running on a treadmill and you're running down a path that you don't even like. That's what I realized. Um, and so obviously with lockdown, there is so much time to think. And so I took that time to really ask myself, like, what do I want to do? And especially because the entire world was on halt, um, there was no peer pressure for me to be doing something because nobody was doing anything. And so it kind of allowed for this vacuum to happen where I was like, let me just do what I want to do. And then mistake number one comes in where I try to go get famous on TikTok, um, like every other Gen Zer in this literal universe. Um, TikTok was all the rage. So I remember like 
pouring in hours, like sweating and dancing in front of this stupid tripod and all that for literally like three plays. Like I think I would give Max three plays, guys. And that's so bad. Do you still have the embarrassing old videos up or are they gone? I do, but they're private. Like for okay. me only, <laughs> right? It's so embarrassing. Ugh. But like you, if you scroll back far enough, I feel like you can see some of my, oh, no, dancing attempts, whatever. So I was a total flop on TikTok. So that call, that claim to fame did not work. So then I was like really emo and depressed to my mom. I was like so sad that I was flopping. So then I went to my mom and she was like, you know, why don't you try YouTube? Which is kind of counterintuitive because I think YouTube is stereotypically known as like a harder platform to grow on versus TikTok. It's a lot of sporadic blowups, right? So I was like, that's literally so counterintuitive, but whatever. Um, I'm at rock bottom, might as well. And so I wrangled together like an old camera that I had lying around the house. And my mom had a few tripods because she's into photography and things like that. So I started vlogging and you can still find the first video I ever made. And it was like a, like a, that typical Zoom university, like Brown University college vlog. And I uploaded that and yeah, the, the rest is history. But to go back to your question, like what was the deciding factor? I think it really was the moment that I felt relief from finally not doing the status quo anymore and being in a situation where the status quo was not an option anymore um, was when I fully allowed myself to let go of all expectations and full send on this thing that I've never even fathomed. So yeah, that is how I started. <laughs> I love that origin story. I think so much of what we all decide to do is so shaped heavily by like peer pressure. Mm-hmm. And especially at Penn too, there's that pre-professional culture where if you're not doing consulting, what are you doing, you know? Exactly. And people don't have the time to like figure out what they actually want to do. And we've talked about this in a previous episode of kind of how the pandemic obviously was a disaster, but in some ways it was like a reset that many people needed. So I'm glad that you were able to kind of like check in with yourself and figure out what you wanted to do. Yes, I very much agree about that. It was a reset and I, I don't know if a lot of us would have come to the realizations or the people that we are now without that type of reset. Um, but yeah, I so agree with that. Nice. I guess I'll ask the second question, which is, what do you believe was the catalyst to your internet success? And what do you think were some of the external and internal factors? And external meaning trends on the internet and expectations, internal kind of referring to your own personal abilities. Right. I love this question because I think it really is such a holistic thing. I think for... mm, let me say like it is just blowing up on social media or growing on social media it is such a grind um obviously I feel like the metaphor is kind of a duck swimming on water of like it is so serene on top but there's so much grinding but it is also a lot of luck um so I really like the framing of this question and that there's both external and internal because I could not have manufactured this in a lab like I really do think it was the stars aligning both in and out of my control, right? So I'm so grateful. I thank God every day that this was able to happen. But in terms of the catalyst, I do think the timing of everyone being on lockdown, obviously this is such a stereotypical answer. Like everybody was turning to digital forms of entertainment 
everyone was on YouTube more because like, what the frick else are we going to do to pass the time? So I definitely do think that there was a lot more demand for entertainment. And so I really am grateful for that. Um, so that in terms of trends on the internet, right. But in terms of internal factors, there is this triangle that I always talk about, especially in one of my videos where I talk about like, oh, hi, I blew up on YouTube, right? There's this triangle that I created to show like, this is the formula of how to grow on social media. And it's, you have to have two of the three corners. And basically it's, you have to have like a good or entertaining editing style. So like presentation and the other tier is personality. You need to have like a quirky personality or you need to have good content value. Like you need to have something to teach. Like, let's say you were in the military for like 20 years. And then like, that's like a niche that you can talk about for people who want to learn about that. Right. And so I would say the secret sauce is like, you need to have at least two of those three to grow. And in that video, I say that I believe that I have I am stronger in two of those corners, which is like a unique editing style as well as like my own personality. And so I do think those are the two things that I attribute to, I hope like why my viewers watch me, right? But I do think in addition to that, a lot of social media is like, it's a marathon. And I think the numbers and not being discouraged by how bad the numbers are when you first start and also being consistent throughout every single dry spell, throughout every flopped video is something that I attribute, the one thing that I attribute to myself of like, oh, I think that is something that really optimized my chances for success. Um, I think for the first year that I was on YouTube, I never, I think I went straight 52 weeks without skipping an upload. And I think especially for platforms like YouTube, their algorithm really, really prioritizes consistency. So yeah. that really helped me um, on YouTube, but that is not sustainable. I think as soon as the 52 weeks were up, I took a break. I was like, I'm done. I need a break. Um, but yeah, so those are the external and internal, but to anybody listening, I feel like if you're thinking about it, just try it. Like that, that is like the one advice that I have because like, how will you know? Like you're presenting yourself to an audience and like those audiences are completely out of your control. And so I feel like there's nothing in your control other than you uploading and trying. So just try it is my biggest advice, but yeah. No, I love that. And I also think that you need to give yourself so much credit when it comes to content <laughs> value as well. You know, I also watch a bunch of other YouTubers who are like in the Ivy League or who go to college. And I think what makes you stand out and like why I appreciate your video so much is like, your incorporation of fashion and then also like some dance elements within those <laughs> videos like it has just never been done before and I think it gives you personality it makes you feel more real more human also shows this more like stylistic and creative side to you that I just think is super entertaining and also pulls in people who like don't care about like the lives of like Ivy League students right so mm -hmm. I think you do such a good job at like bringing in such a diverse audience and like being very entertaining at that and I know that's probably where all the hours and hours of editing come in is for those videos, but I think it is so worth it. And, you know, I think also thinking about all this time and again, like having to upload for all these weeks to fit the algorithm and to get the views and stuff like that. 
I think it'd be really interesting if you could just talk about how you hold space for yourself in your own personal life, when you do have to publicize a lot of your experiences, when you do have to put multiple hours into this to have sustained success, what is it that you do that really keeps you sane and keeps you human? Got you. Well, first of all, thank you for gassing me up. Like, thank you so much. You're so sweet. Um, and it is, I do forget about that, but yeah, like dancing in front of my camera is so much fun. I mean, I did that stuff without the camera. So I'm like, y'all were just bystanders into what I was already doing. So I really appreciate that you are enjoying that. Thank you, Kim. But yeah, in terms of answering, how do you hold space for yourself? Uh, this is also such a good question. It's, it's really weird because before social media like took off for me, I am a very, very private person. Um, I have never had a Finsta. I do not have like a close friend story. I don't have like private stories on Snapchat. Like anything that I put out on social media, it's like for everyone or I share it with no one. And like, if I want like a close friend only to see it, like I will send it directly to her. Um, and in that way, like those boundaries, I think have just been very set for me to begin with, I suppose. I don't know. We sh I guess we can unpack like why I'm such a private person. I'm not really sure. Um, but with that being blown out of proportion, once I had a following, I think I've just learned to establish those same boundaries, but it is very difficult. Like I'll share a funny story. <laughs> like one time there was like this Snapchat filter. I don't even know if this PC, you guys might need to cut this out. I don't know, but there's this one Instagram filter where it's like a guy, like opening his crotch and like your face can be in like the crotch like it's like a really meme meme filter and I like just took a picture in that filter and I posted it to like 40,000 people and the first person to see it was my dad like literally my dad <laughs> saw me like pose in like a fake dick pic oh my um God. yeah so then but like oddly I just don't care so I think the way that I do it is I just try to be as authentic as I can to everyone so that I don't even have stuff to hide, I guess. Um, but in terms of, I think when we get into the nitty gritty, like there's obviously been things like when I deal with things in my family life or things in my personal life, like love life, obviously people want to know all about that stuff. But I think before I upload any video or post any story, I kind of go back to the age old question of like, how will I feel about this in a week? And also like, how would I feel if like my professor saw this or it was like on the front times, uh, front page of the New York Times? Like I think about that. And for me, like the threshold is lower than the average person. Like I'd be fine with that, like dick pic shot being on New York Times. Like I honestly wouldn't care, but like, when it comes to sharing like intimate struggles, like especially let's say I'm going through a conflict in my personal life, if it's not yet resolved, it's my rule to not talk about it. Like if I'm going through something, I need to have at least processed it and unpacked it before publicizing any aspect of it. And I think being able to look back on experiences with a very cool down and processed lens makes me even more vulnerable with my audience once I'm able to share it with like a cool head and so I'd say yeah not being so quick to jump the gun and overshare immediately um, makes me more authentic later on because I can kind of frame it in the way that I want to 
But yeah, I feel like I kind of rambled there, but it is definitely a very, very interesting line, especially because people definitely kind of assume that they know you for sure um, when you share these intimate experiences. And while I love that connection and especially being able to make people feel like they're not alone in the circumstances, there is, I think, just a really surreal boundary that I just can't even explain. Um, But that's how I've been navigating it. It's definitely a learning journey and I will get better at it from the day to day. I think you touched on a lot of really good points there. I think like parasocial relationships are weird. And I think that we feel a similar way just in like what we choose to share because so much of what we share is just like literally things that might've happened to us recently or even if it didn't happen recently, it's people who know us or, you know, are listening and people who are adjacent to the things that have happened to us are listening and anyone can access it at any time. And Mm -hmm. I think that, I think the key is establishing clear boundaries like you talked about. And I think those boundaries are allowed to shift and move um, and like grow as you grow as a person. But I think that starting with at least some type of clear code of like ethics for what you put online and put out to your audience is a really good start. Agreed. Agreed. Make rules before you need them. That's why. Yes. I love that. Mm-hmm. And I also think that's how you also show up for yourself and continue to hold space for, for yourself by having these boundaries of like, this is what I'm going to share online or like, this is my barrier to enter. This is my threshold. I think keeps you sane and like keeps you going as like you post. And I don't know, I think creating that boundary is really important. I feel like over the years I've seen different YouTubers who almost, it seems like regret like things they've yeah. shared and things they've done because they've been so upfront. so early on that it's so hard to like scale back from that point so I just think that it's really good that like you're going in with this intention of like what you feel comfortable doing and are really sticking to that I think that's so important yes there's like nothing worse than seeing your favorite creator talk about like their best friend have their best friend in every video or have their boyfriend every video and then like the next month they have to make a video being like the reason you don't see so and so is because we're not friends anymore no bro I know. And that's like such a, oh my God, it's, that's the scariest thing, especially because I think um, now that I am like a creator or whatever, I do like interact with other creators who I used to watch. And then like, Mm -hmm. I hear the behind the scenes and like, I remember like, they often like worry, like when something shifts in their personal life, they're like, how do I like tell my viewers and it's it's so sad because in the moment like obviously you think this relationship is going to last forever or like this facet of your life is going to be forever and like part of the commodity that we are selling is our authenticity in our lives so like where do we draw the line how can we predict we can never predict and so it is such a difficult thing and I think the best thing that like creators can do is just to be kind to themselves and realize that like at the end of the day, yes, so many people are watching you, but also the internet forgets so fast and like with enough time, like people will move on. Um, yeah, we just gotta be mindful, but also like kind to ourselves when we do have an overshare and just be like, oh, not next time. But I agree, it's so sad to see. It's so sad to see. Who knows? I'll be in that position one day, like what we'll, we'll, whatever. Like it's, and it's fine. just life. It's just it's life. Just life. And it's something to navigate and I think it's 
it's just a weird third layer, like having an audience hear you because obviously if things change in your life, you're going to tell your friends and family and like explain it to them. But then to have to explain it to people who don't know everything, that's just like, how do you navigate that? And I think that because social media is so fresh, there, there isn't a rule book on that. But I think in 50 years when our kids are like online, they'll have <laughs> it all figured out maybe. Exactly. Hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> all right. The next thing we wanted to ask you is just kind of talking about the ways your identity as a Korean American woman has impacted how you navigate being online and being on YouTube and handling fame. And, you know, at Heart to Heart, we obviously center most of our conversations about Black women and Black mm-hmm. girls, but we'd love to talk about how your space kind of centers on focuses on centering, you know, Asian American women? Yes, yes, love this question. I'd say, (sighs) I think it's a great honor to be given a platform as a Korean American. Um, I think growing up, I feel like this story is so cookie cutter, but it's my story, so I'm going to share it anyway. But like growing up, I think I absolutely fiended off of any crumb of Asian representation in media obviously it made me anytime I I mean I grew up on like Niga Higa Ryan Higa and like Jen M and YouTubers like that who were like I associate as like the first generation of like Asian YouTubers and it made me feel so whole and seen and much more attached to their story simply because like we as humans, like we're biologically proven to be tribal beings. Like we are just designed to organize into groups. And so I think it just spoke biologically to me to be like, to see somebody who looked like me on the screen and never would I have imagined that like I am now also on that same screen, like so weird, like the same platform that like absolutely dominated my day-to-day as like a 12 year old. Like I am that to somebody. And so in that way, I feel like I'm almost being passed a baton from my role models to keep that flame alive. And even how we can scale this to reach an even deeper depth than just having our faces seen on a screen. Um, Yeah, like honestly, it's, they say like with great power comes great responsibility. And so- I think while I'm so honored, it also every day I wake up and I like pray, I'm like, I know that me being given this platform is not a fluke. Like I know that I'm meant to do something with this. And I ask every day, like I pray that I'm guided to use it for good. Um, And one of the ways that I do think it is helping me do that is by making sure that I continue to authentically represent my community. And obviously, because a lot of people gravitate toward creators who look like them, I know that the majority of my base is Asian or Asian American. And I really appreciate whenever I get like sweet messages and DMs, I get so many, I can't respond to all of them, which makes me so sad. But um it does keep me going. I think it's like a very mutual relationship of like, I'm here for you, but you are also here for me. Um, So that is the biggest way that I think my Korean American identity has shaped me in that I feel like every time I edit a video or make a video or upload a video, I'm thinking like, what would 
the younger version of me want to see and like what do they need to be said out loud that like nobody in their immediate circle is telling them like what message can I give that I wish I could have heard at that age um, or phase in my life so yeah yeah (laughs) I love that and thank you so much for being just so authentic and real about that Um, and I also feel like just being a person of color in the social media Mm -hmm. space is already such an interesting thing to navigate. I mean, Brie and I talk about all the time, how, when we grew up like on YouTube, not on YouTube, but watching YouTube videos, like just a very white female dominated space. So I think even trying to crack into that mold and figure out like how to create an appeal is so just different and difficult. And even in creating our own podcast, like Brie and I were constantly thinking about, okay, like how do we market ourselves to also be palatable Mm -hmm. to all these audiences because we wanted to speak to black women but also we knew our messages were so important that we obviously wanted that to extend beyond the black community as well um so I think everything that you shared we really resonate with and is really indicative of our experience as well on like a small scale I think that's so valuable that you bring up the question of palatability because I I even remember like when I was first starting my channel, my dad would say things to me like, oh my God, like, yes, you're based Asian, but like, how do you make yourself palatable to like the white, the white viewers? And like, because they're like the mass, like they're the biggest, like if you have their buying power, like it's great. Like he, he was he's such a business mind. He was like thinking, and I'm sure you guys have had those discussions of again, like what we're saying is so important. Like we want every person to be able to listen to this and tune into this. But then also, how do you remain authentic to your community? Like, it's such a such a thin line. Um, and honestly, like, let me know if you guys figure it out. I haven't figured it out. So I don't know. But that's definitely a question that I've also had to ask myself over and over because it is, I think it's sad, but also, um, like, empowering to constantly think about, like, both the business side of, like, how can we optimize and maximize this thing, but also how can we stay true to ourselves and the identities that we want to represent? So yeah, I very much resonated with what you're saying. Yeah. A very fine line because even in people I've watched, you can see in the comments, if someone who maybe is a person of color and has a large following, if they do one thing in a wrong way, then people Mm -hmm. are like quick to like, you're a sellout, you know? Right. The standards are so high. Yeah. Yeah. Or you could go the other way and be too quote unquote authentic and then you lose half your audience. So it's a really, really hard, hard balance. Exactly. Exactly. Awesome. So our final question, this has gone by so quickly, but I I really enjoyed this conversation. Oh my goodness. But our last question is, as someone in the social media space, do you have any concerns about the impact of social media on our society? And if so, what are they? Sure. So this is such a layered question. It's literally an onion. I'd say number one, I've noticed it can really skew our sense of reality. Um, it is crazy how, like, I used to be obsessed with TikTok. I literally tried to, my claim to fame was TikTok. I literally failed. And it's crazy how I used to be so obsessed with TikTok. So I would speak all the languages and all the memes. And now I barely go on that app. And so like things that blow up on TikTok, like Squid Game or things like that, like I have no idea about any of those hypes, no idea about any of the memes. Um, I mean, I still post on TikTok, but I do not scroll at all. And so it's actually crazy how we can all coexist in different 
versions of this universe based on this tiny little pixelated app. And so I think that is a huge way that it is going to impact our society because it can really feel like this world that you know is the entire world when it's not. So that's number one. And I would also say specifically in terms of my perspective as a creator, I have noticed that it is hard to continue to view social media as entertainment for me personally now. It's like, because it's work, it's just no longer entertaining to me. And so I feel myself trying to find other methods to entertain myself. And it's really, really difficult because I feel like everyone else is like on the memes and like all these entertainment things. And I'm like, I want to curl up with a book. And so I feel like I'm kind of like regressing in time. But I definitely do think that it is only continuing to take up like bigger, bigger real estate in our lives. And I think it's, we're going to be, have to, we're going to have to be very, very careful about how much we let social media dominate this perception of reality that I think we all hold, um, especially with like Mark Zuckerberg saying the metaverse and how we're going to be able to like be inside of it. I'm like, oh my God, I'm scared. But yeah, I think there's this quote that I read somewhere. I think it was from my favorite newsletter by James Clear because I love his book, Atomic Habits is amazing. But I think he said something like the more you create, the more power you hold and the more you consume, the less power you hold. And I think social media is literally a double-edged sword in that there's so many creators and they're creating and putting up content, but there's also so many consumers. And that dichotomy, like which end of the seesaw do you want to be on? Um, it's a constant balance because nobody does one or the other completely, but where do we be, where do we want to be most of the time, I think is a decision that a lot of youth and young adults are going to have to grapple with in the coming years as it becomes bigger and bigger. Yeah. That was really theoretical. <laughs> oh, it was really good. It was. It's so interesting. Thank you. I was going to say, when you said that, you feel like you're regressing by not staying on the trends. I think that's actually a positive. And the fact that you're not just, in, you know, when you get on social media and you know the trends and then you make content, you can kind of inadvertently recycle content. And I think mm -hmm. the fact that you're going out and like reading books and just kind of consuming media in other ways you're probably helping your audience. You know what I'm saying? By bringing a different perspective and not just like getting on TikTok and getting in your videos and saying the same little phrases and things everyone else is saying. Mm -hmm, you know? mm -hmm. I appreciate that. That is a good way to look at it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I think overall, you just have a really healthy relationship with social media. And like, I'm sure it's been hard to like figure out what that balance is, but it seems like you have like a really good grasp on like your boundaries and like where you need to like set that. So I think that's amazing. And again, I'm so happy that we were able to just pick your brain. I swear we could keep this going for like three hours. Literally. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> you just have such interesting things to say. And I think it's just so refreshing to hear your perspective. And, you know, Brie and I have like interviewed other YouTubers and I think you've just really brought really good insight that we haven't heard before. So so appreciative of everything that you are yes thank you so much for having me this yeah I honestly I'm shocked at how time flew by I right? like barely like rushed <laughs> brushed the surface but like yeah this was so enjoyable 
I'm so honored again to be featured on Heart to Heart. I'm rooting for you ladies like so hard. I think like what you guys are accomplishing in this space is so important and I am just so honored to be here. So yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Do you want to plug everything before we sign off? Sure. I mean, I am Katie Yu on YouTube, but the Katie is spelled kind of weird. K-A-I-T-I space Y-O-O. Um, yeah, I, I'm like every social media handle is different. I'm like, I can't, I literally can't, but if you go to my YouTube, you can find everything else. You'll find it all there. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you so much for joining us. We really love talking to you. And to all our listeners, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Please, please, please check Katie out if you are not already. You have to. You have to. (laughs) You have to. Right after you listen to this episode, that is the first thing you do. Go watch her most recent video. Yes, please. And we will see you all next week. Thank you. Yes, see you next week. Bye. Bye.